You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. My name is Dean. I'm the pastor here at City Church. We're going through Acts, and this week will be in Acts chapter 3, as uh, we just heard read out loud uh, for our church family. Let's pray together, and then uh, we'll jump in. Our Father, we are thankful for your word. Uh, We ask we be good stewards, and we are faithful in response to what we've been entrusted with, that we have the words of our creator available to us, that what you want us to know about you and what you've done for us has been made known. How amazing. Let us never lose sight of just what an act of grace it is that we have our Bibles. Uh, so I ask that I will be faithful to the text today as you speak through me. Please keep the enemy out of this place and out of our city. We ask you all the churches as they gather today in Tallahassee, and may the gospel, the good news of your love for sinners and your restoration and your making new people for yourself be made known throughout our town and across the world. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. A little uh, city church history for you. Uh, We used to meet at night when we first started, only at night. It's like 15 years ago, 14 years ago. And uh, our first Sunday that was Super Bowl Sunday was coming up. And I'm a Patriots fan, so of course, most likely the Patriots for the Super Bowl because Tom Brady. Uh, There's a good chance. Uh, But we wanted people to, we're like, well, the Super Bowl starts at 6 and our church service starts at 6. So what do we do about that? Because we want people to be with their friends right? during the Super Bowl. It's a great time to get together with friends and, and just be with people and, and have a chance to invite friends maybe around that they don't get to see too often with the occasion of the Super Bowl. Uh, so we said, okay, next week for Super Bowl Sunday, we're only going to we're going to have a morning service. I've never had one ever in the history of our church. Uh, and we're not going to have our Sunday night service because of the Super Bowl. We just owned it. And, um, and people came to the service. And we've had a morning service ever since. That's a little history for you uh, right there and how that all came about. Everything goes back to football with me, I know. Uh, that's how it kind of uh, came about. So we're in Acts chapter 3 this week. And if uh, you haven't uh, been here, maybe you're new here, we'd love for you to catch up. But listen to wherever you listen to podcasts or to go to our website uh, to catch up on the Acts series. We're just going verse by verse through, or kind of section by section, sometimes verse by verse through this whole book of the Bible. It's an important bridge uh, between the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, into the rest of the story uh, of God's letters to his people of what it looks like to know him, be known by him, how now we should live, what, how we understand salvation, all these important things in our Bible. Acts is the bridge to all of that. Now, it would have been really easy for these believers, uh, for when we read Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, to just stay together in their spiritual bubble. They were living their best life. We're told they're breaking bread together, they're praying together, they're just kind of like in this little Christian utopia at the time, Uh, full spread persecution hadn't happened yet, they were praying together in a room, it had been so easy just to keep it that way, but there was a direct word given to them from Jesus before he ascended to heaven, and in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 he told them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As in this is the calling, this is the point of all this, then they've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit descending on God's people, so now it's time to put it all to use, the actual reason the power came in the first place. In other words, it's time to go. And Peter gave a sermon in Acts chapter two and now we get them actually going out into the community. So in Acts chapter 3, we see this mission go and start, go forward, and the temples we just had read earlier uh, was a strategic place at this time for the Jewish people, and in the Jewish calendar, there were set aside certain times of day that were the seasons of prayer, the kind of the hours of prayer. So this was happening at that moment, a prayer time, and this man who the Bible refers to as a lame man, we're just going to use that language because that's how they had been referred to then, uh, someone who could not walk, uh, put himself in a very strategic position to ask for money. 
Uh, it was at the time of prayer. It was at the beautiful gates that had been put up by the empire. And Jewish people still at that time were very much encouraged as part of their spiritual duty uh, to do what was called giving alms, alms to the poor. So this person was in the perfect situation to be able to receive that prayer time in the main area of town and amongst the people who knew they had to kind of check it off their list in terms of their duty to give alms to the poor. So here, Peter and John, here the disciples show up, and the man maybe thinks that he's about to get hooked up, whatever it could be, and we see that instead of them giving him money, they told him to get up and walk. And we're even told that Peter grabbed him and pulled him up, and we see that he actually leaped. And the same word for leap or jump that's used in that text in chapter 3 is also found in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6, where we see the lame will be leaping like a deer, pointing that something's going to be happening that this story really is not maybe the literal fulfillment of, but the grand idea of what God was talking about was going to happen one day when his Messiah would come for his people. And also it's important to know, so as we jump into the text more, that the man, after he is healed, enters the temple. Now, this indicates for us there was a full healing that took place. Not a partial healing, a full healing, because in this culture at this time, by the rites and rituals, someone in his condition would not have been allowed into the temple for worship. They were viewed as maybe unclean, whatever the category might have been, several categories, actually. But this occurred during the hour of prayer, so this man is fully aware as he wants to go into the temple as people are praying, he's aware of what has happened to him and not just what has happened to him, but who it is that actually healed him. So what does he want to do first? He wants to offer praise to God. He wants to thank him through prayer that God is the great healer, that every gift should point us to the giver. Even the common grace that God gives us today I mean, what a, what a time to be alive with the scientific and technological advances, with medicine, with the expertise of doctors and specialists. Like, what an amazing time to be alive today. If it's leg issues, maybe physical therapy, I mean, so many different fields that can allow us to really live life to the fullest in terms of what is available to us. But even that is from God. We have to remember that. Who gave those people those brains? God did. Who gave them their talents? Who gave them their discipline, their study habits, the work ethics that put them through medical school? God did. So like everything ultimately goes back to him being the one to whom we give thanks. We give, we're grateful for other people and we encourage other people for their devotion, but ultimately we give thanks to the giver. And that's the first thing this guy does, is be aware of who it actually was that healed him. I don't mean this judgmental so too much, but so I hope this isn't too much, but I hope uh, my tone, that's, that's not my heart behind this, but atheists and agnostics celebrating Thanksgiving has always been weird to me. It just always has. Not that you can't come and have turkey, I'm not like putting like a gate up on who can come in and who can like to our house for dinner, but it's always just been interesting because at Thanksgiving, we're giving thanks. And the question is, to what? To whom? Like to chance, to fate, that just kind of all worked out? No, for there to be thanks to be given, there must be a giver of those good things. It's actually a great opportunity for a conversation, not just at Thanksgiving, but anytime someone's talking about how thankful they are, there's a right way to say it, but to kind of ask, to whom? Or to what? 
Like, we're thankful to God. We believe that he is the giver of all good things. So we see, as we get into the text in chapter, verse 4, Peter, along with John, looks straight at him, this is the healing is about to take place, and said, look at us, pretty abrupt here for Peter, as if something important is about to happen here, lock in with us. So maybe he was just, you know, people were passing by, he wasn't really paying attention, he had his little cup out to ask people to give him money. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. As, man, these guys are about to hook me up. I mean, they're not just dropping some change in my little, you know, in my little cup here. They're about to hook me up big time. And then verse 6 is like, womp, womp. Peter said, I don't have silver or gold. The guy's like, man. But what I do have, and he's like, oh, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And then we see that's exactly what he was going to be able to do. And the sentence structure here is important because this is Luke, who's the author of Acts, making a point here for us that what the man thought he needed is contrasted to what he really needed. So the disciples are going to show him as, yes, God in his grace is allowing this man to walk, but that ultimately is not his greatest need. It might say, well, it's easy for us to say. But as we see as the scripture unfolds, that everyone in the entire story had the exact same greatest need in common, and that was the need to have their sins forgiven. That their greatest need was salvation that only Christ could offer. But we see this happening in the Old Testament, pointing forward. Zephaniah, one of the minor prophets, yet at this, that time, I will deal with all who oppress you. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. In Micah chapter 4, verse 7, another minor prophet, I will make the lame into a remnant, those far removed into a strong nation. Then the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time on and forever. That God is pointing to something greater, that those who are lame will have a restoration that will take place, and he's not merely referring to physical, even though one day all things will be made new. He's pointing to something else, to something greater that will come in the promised Messiah. For those who are spiritually lame, will be allowed to spiritually stand up and walk, going from death to life. And then he wants them to really understand here. In verse 13, Peter says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, like remember? And they're like, oh yeah, wait, that's, those are our guys, has glorified his servant Jesus. Then he reminds them of their guilt, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. The pilot said, his blood's on your hands. He says, you denied. Here's what you did. You denied the holy and righteous one. The one that God had promised through these people that you admire, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He goes and asked to have a murderer released to you named Barabbas. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. It's a nice try. We are witnesses of this. Like, we've seen it with our own eyes. That's why we're willing to stand up here before this people and proclaim to you the name of Jesus. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong. Not our power, the name of Jesus, whom you see and know. His name has been made strong. That's the goal, that's the point. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. You see, the miracle created an opportunity. 
And that was the point. That the time is now that God has given you so much grace, you rejected the Messiah, and he's still giving you the opportunity to trust in him, to repent of your sins, to be forgiven. So verses 11 through 12, it transitions the reader away from the actual healing. Like we get away from the healing pretty quickly, completely to the source of the healing. So we go from the healing to the focus being on the source of the healing, that being the power of Christ. And the people watching, they needed Jesus as much as the lame man. Not for physical healing, but for spiritual. So what does Peter do? He connects the dots for them. He knows his audience. It's a Jewish audience who is down at the temple for the time of prayer, doing their religious duties as good Jews. He says, Abraham's promise, it's fulfilled in Christ. The promise that God made to him, that he would bless him, it's been answered that Jesus is the true offspring and that all Christians are children of Abraham. All Christians. There's a song, old vacation Bible school song, Father Abraham had many sons. I don't know if anybody remembers that. They grew up, grew up around that. Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. And then it goes on for like an hour, the song. Hand motions, right arm, left arm, all these different kinds of things. But what was happening in that song is it was giving us great theology, a great understanding of the way we become a part of God's family. The way we are descendants of Abraham is not through an ethnic heritage, but through Jesus, through God's promised Messiah and son. So when he's making this appeal to the Jewish people using the, the healing of this man who now can walk, he's saying, trust in this Jesus, that he is better than anything else you could actually imagine. That he really is the one that he claimed to be. He uses the servant passages from Isaiah to help them understand the servant that Isaiah talked about. This is him, the suffering one. And Peter also, as I said, exposes their sinfulness. You chose a murderer over the author of life. One of the first times we see substitution in the New Testament go into play. We see it throughout the Old Testament, the sacrifice, but here's Jesus stepping in as the innocent one. And the great sinner, Barabbas, is freed. Jesus is our substitute. That he is the innocent one, died a death that we deserve for our sins. So that our sins would not be ignored, but that he would be punished instead. What an amazing act of grace and love that is our God, that he does not punish us as our sins deserve. That's why we call the gospel good news. And God wants his message of his love to be made known for his glory of redemption to be declared. And here's Peter standing up in front of this crowd that would have thought they had all the answers and saying, don't be so mesmerized by the healing that you miss the healer. And the ultimate need for healing, the healing of your heart. We see this from David Patterson, a theologian. In this specific context, the source of life stands in contrast to death. That God reversed the human decision and raised his champion from the dead. Their attempts to end his life were futile, even though they remained guilty. God's saving purposes were not frustrated by Israel's rebellion, but were fully established. He had been working out this plan from the beginning, and that's what Peter is reminding them of. In verse 14, he says, you declared the holy and righteous, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. It's a life or death choice. Al Mohler writes that the gospel is what founded the early church. It's this good news of Christ. It's this story that propelled the church to go. 
But we see another important theological thing happening here that can be easy to miss if we don't know the whole context of the scriptures. And that is the temple restoration is taking place. I don't mean in terms of a physical building project. We're seeing the understanding now the temple be what it was originally intended to one day, and that was to transition from being a physical temple to a spiritual temple. The temple used to be the place where you had to go to meet with God via a priest who would stand in your place. But now that God's temple is the people that he dwells with, which is all the children of Abraham. That's gonna be a clash we're gonna see in Acts, in kind of the old guard and these new people who have been, these people who have now been given life in Christ. And this lame man enters the temple and we could say a new era has begun. Patrick Schreiner writes that Peter's sermon paves the way for temple opposition, indicating that the argument over the role of the temple fundamentally, fundamentally concerns Jesus' role in the redemptive story. Because now it's faith that connects people to God. So we could say it's always been that, it's always been by grace, but now ultimately we understand that it's faith in Jesus. The temple system is now fulfilled by the name of Jesus as he draws people to himself. That faith is the vehicle that connects people to the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. The lame man followed Jesus in the death to life pattern, a transformation that took place. And Schreiner adds, the temple expands as the spirit applies the life-giving work of Jesus to outcasts. So a new temple, new development happens in your heart and every believer's heart when they come to faith in Christ. When God regenerates them, he dwells with them. So he wants them to respond to this. So this good news of the gospel that Christ is the one that was promised to your ancestors, it demands a response. And he says, and now brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. That's why you chose to Barabbas over Jesus. You were ignorant of who he was, but it doesn't leave you without guilt. He says, in this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. And they would know that suffering language based on what prophecies Isaiah wrote. He says, because of this, because God has carried out his plan that he promised to you, and you've indicated your guilt before him as in your great need for Jesus, repent, turn back, turn away from your old life and turn to Jesus. Why? So your sins may be wiped out. But this is Why? We could say verse 19 is the heart of the whole sermon that Peter gave. And these were devout Jews. He knew his audience. These were devout Jews who thought they had never left God. He says, what do you mean turn back to God? We've never left him. Like, we're the people of God. We're the ones that go to the temple at the right prayer times. We have parts of the Bible memorized. We do the feasts, and we observe all the Jewish traditions. We're not the ones who have left God. You're the ones that are maybe following some kind of cult leader or something, this Jesus guy, and what he wants them to say is that might be true unless Jesus rose from the grave. He rose from the grave, which ends the discussion on who he was. And I'm going to try to give you more evidence. This man that you've seen sitting here at the gate for so long, so regularly, that you've given money to, that he can walk now. And that the one who's been oppressed now gets to participate in the people of God. See, being a physical Israelite doesn't grant you forgiveness of sin and eternal life critical to understand in terms of what's happening here in the New Testament because of Jesus. The way to forgiveness of sin 
and eternal life is through the Messiah that God has appointed, the Son of God himself, and his name is Jesus, who was the answered promise to the Jews. God did not abandon his Jewish people. He sent the Messiah, he promised them. And many of the Jews in the book of Acts received Christ and trusted and believed. So the way you return to God is by faith in Christ. And it's easy to go, man, they just didn't get it, but how often are we the same in Tallahassee today? That people think maybe it's not a child, they're not a child, in their eyes they're not Jewish, because it's not their ethnicity or their heritage, but they think they're Christians, simply because their grandmother was a Christian, or they come from a Christian family, or they pray before dinner, have a Bible on their shelf, maybe they're just not atheists, not agnostics, they try to be good people. All things that are actually good, none of those things can actually forgive sin. Good things can still be good things, but not ultimate things. Like, it's good to have morals. Praise God for a heritage that's, that's Christian. But it doesn't deal with the fact that we are sinners who owe God. There's a debt that must be paid. But thankfully, God allowed the debt to be paid for us so we wouldn't have to pay it for ourselves. But those who are without Christ, who have never responded to the gospel and the good news, please make sure you are well aware there is a debt to be paid with your life. So you're gonna stand before God based on your record or you're gonna stand before God on the record of Jesus? Death or life. That's one of the reasons why we're doing our let's go. Our whole let's go initiative. Because we wanna reach the next generation. We want a multi-generational church that wants to meet, reach the next generation. And part of where we live is helping them realize that it's not their grandmother's faith that saves them, even though we thank God for that. It's Jesus that saves them. See, in verse 19, we see the ultimate issue is not what's outside of us, rather what's inside of us. But the narrative of our culture today is it's always an outside force that's the problem. There's always something out there that's the issue. When the scriptures make it clear that, yes, there are things out there that are problematic, the biggest issue that everyone else has is inside their heart, the heart that needs to be changed. But the great news on the other side of this, of repentance, is that God cancels the record of our debt because Jesus took it on. Let's get to verse 20. The seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. What a word for these people that would have continued to believe they had to strive for God's approval. Do these deeds, these acts to be right with God. Jesus really is refreshing. Because he allows us to take a deep breath and realize that God has done all of the work necessary to achieve our salvation. That we get no credit for it. That it is by grace we are saved through faith. Not by works. So that no one can boast. So in Christ we should be able to take a deep breath sometimes. And just say, the work has been completed. It has been completed. It's not up to me. He said, heaven must receive him. This is the ascension he's talking about, which he did in chapter one, until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke. He's reminding them, remember we told you, learn this, that God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning, that Jesus has ascended to heaven and that he will one day return to make all things new. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. 
Because to reject Jesus is to ultimately not be a person of God and not be a part of God's family. The new prophet has been raised up that was promised. And we should have listened to him, but instead we took Barabbas instead of him. Like he's the one Moses pointed to. Not only that, all the prophets he's saying have pointed to him. So what do you do with it? Accept the message. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Like Israel, this promise is for you, but it's conditional. And by conditional, I do not mean their election as God's people, that is unconditional. But you must repent and believe. You must receive this good news. And the question for all of us is, how do we respond to this message? For those who are already believers, we need regular reminders of exactly who this Messiah is and what our salvation has accomplished for us. Regular reminders that when we repent of our sins, that Jesus brings about total forgiveness, total forgiveness. He brings about a spiritual refreshment for us. And one day he'll bring about universal restoration. To all the things right now that concern you, all the things that give us anxiety, all the things that are uncertain and chaotic, even the things that are evil and dark, that one day they will be dealt with. That God will get the final word. There'll be a universal restoration of all things being made new. We look forward to that. Where the lame like a deer will leap and will run. So just kind of three quick takeaways here. One is that Jesus is our greatest need. That might sound so elementary to those of you who've been in church for a long time. For those of you that are new to understanding maybe the things of God, or then I, I hope you understand that too. I want everyone to understand that, that Jesus is all of our greatest needs. And there's always competition out there around for what people are saying the biggest need is for all. The biggest need, period, is Jesus Christ. He is our greatest need. Because there are people right now who are spending eternity apart from God that were always able to walk, who were always able to leap like a deer, but their sins were never forgiven. Our greatest need is Jesus Christ. How quickly Peter in that message pivots from the healing to the source to point people to Jesus. The healing was, I said last week, the, the things that he's doing are kind of blue check marks. They're verification of the person and work of Jesus Christ. The second thing is God cares about our other needs. How amazing. Our God cares for us. Jesus walked this earth. He experienced pain. He experienced sorrow. This is a broken world we are in. And God's just not leaving us here to fend for ourselves. He's going to bring about one day a renewal of all things. But in the meantime, he is here with us. And he has compassion for his people. So please know that the God who, know, who has met our greatest need in the fact that we were separated from him and needed to be forgiven it's also a God that cares about our other needs, which means we should care about needs as well. As those who have received so much grace, we should want to be able to give grace to others. We care about the needs of others because God cares about our needs. As those who have been blessed much in Christ, first of all, spiritually, we see people who want to bless others in different ways. We take that seriously here as a church. That's why we partner with organizations. You can't, there's so many organizations out there uh, but we partner with organizations like the Hang Tough Foundation. We partner with Women's Pregnancy Center here in town, with ECHA, which is a, uh, a great need for those that are in need, a great um, resource and a great ministry here in town. Like, we're serious about these things. Why? Because God cares about our needs, so we need to care about the needs of others as well. And the third thing is the resurrection of Jesus Christ has reordered everything. Everything. 
the systems torn down. They weren't bad systems. They were systems to point us to this day, to make us aware of our need that we couldn't reach God on our own. Jesus is restoring everything to his glory and to himself. And we see that in the book of Acts unfold as we go forward. That the resurrection of Jesus, he is king and lord over all the cosmos. And how amazing we get to be called his. We're going to pray together. And then we're going to actually remember through taking the Lord's Supper exactly what it is Jesus is talking about. Or what Peter is talking about in terms of Jesus and what he went through, what he endured. All in God's plan to reconcile a people to himself. So if you didn't get a chance to get this, uh, I would love for you to get uh, the, the Lord's Supper packet. It'd be a great time uh, now to go ahead and do that. And uh, I'm going to pray for us before we get started. Our Father, we are thankful for the message of repentance, that you are giving people an opportunity. How, how incredible to know that you are not leaving people in their sins, that people who have rebelled radically against you, that there's grace for them. There's grace for us. So Lord, I ask that we will choose the one who chose us that we will love the one who first loved us. And Lord, I ask that in our lives as believers, that we will make decisions daily about where our loyalty lies. That that story of acts of the man being healed will only strengthen our faith. And know that one day there'll be a restoration of all things. So in the meantime, as we sang earlier, all of this is worth it because you are the exact one you claim to be. We're thankful, we're thankful that our God loves us, that our God has responded to our greatest need and have been planning to meet that need from the beginning. So you'll receive all the glory and we get a chance to partake in your family. What an amazing truth to know. That we are thankful that the seed of Abraham is answered ultimately in Jesus Christ. And it's in his great name we pray. Amen.